This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Thursday the 3rd of December. And Norman, it's really encouraging to see all around Australia different restrictions are starting to lift. We sort of feel like we're coming into a different phase of this weird pandemic year that we've had. But we're not out of the woods yet, are we? So what sorts of things are we okay to sort of go, okay, we're not going this hard on these restrictions anymore, and what things should we continue to do? Well, the first thing I'll say is to Coronacast listeners, we'd love to hear from you. What do you think, once COVID-19 is over, what will stay with you in terms of changed behaviour? Will you wear masks outside? Will you wear a mask when you've got cold symptoms, when you don't have to be tested anymore? Are we going to elbow each other rather than shake hands? Or are we going to kissy-kissy to complete strangers? You know, tell us. what's going. We'd love to hear from you. Um, what changes you think you're going to make in the long term? Because the memory of this pandemic will live with us forever. And one of the weird silver linings about this year has been that while we've been very distant from each other and there's been a big shadow over the year, we've also had less of the other diseases that we would just consider to be normal, especially throughout winter. Way less colds and flus seem to be circulating this year compared to previous years. Yeah. So then the question is, what do we do before we're fully immunised, assuming immunisation prevents uh, transmission? And that could be a year from now. It might take a long time, or it could be remarkably fast. But nonetheless, we've still got a few months to go. We're not going to get vaccines probably till March being rolled out. We don't have the urgency of the United States and uh, and Britain. And we might come back to that a little bit on to more on tomorrow's Coronacast. So coming back to your question, I think you know at the moment, if you get symptoms, you should be coming forward for testing. That's got to stay with us right through until we're all fully immunised. That can't change. I think that not getting into spaces that are too crowded, unless you really have to. Being wary of poorly ventilated spaces, indoor spaces I'm talking about. Those are things that are going to, as you say, Tegan, prevent us getting the common cold, prevent us getting flu, and will protect us in general. We certainly need to continue with the QR codes or in those jurisdictions that have them. That's going to be a very important part of our insurance in case there's an outbreak. And I think that just prudent social distancing with people that you don't know and you don't have symptoms. And if you've got any symptoms, you stay away from other people until you've got tested. Those would be the main things, I think. Hygiene's important. No question that you keep on washing your hands regularly. Try not to touch your face. That's very good hygiene advice, which should last beyond the pandemic. Being careful of surfaces sneeze into your your elbow. Those are the sorts of things that will stay with me moving forward. So we've actually got a few questions about this, Norman, and one of them's from someone in New South Wales saying, are we allowed to hug yet? Or should social distancing still be the norm? We can sit next to each other at restaurants, but not hug, which seems conflicting. Well, I have to confess that with almost no virus circulating in New South Wales, which is where I'm based, I've started to hug shoot me down in flames but I've started to hug and it's only recently though. The real confession's coming out. Took me a long time to go back to the gym and I'm still a little bit nervous in the gym because people are breathing heavily and I wash down things very carefully and stay away from from the others as much as I can. Yeah I've started to hug but that trusts that somebody's not got any symptoms and I kind of know the person that I'm hugging it's not a stranger and I'm not kissing so I don't kiss people that I don't know. As just as a greeting or just a random pash on a Saturday night? Um, Both. (laughs) 
We actually have a question about gyms as well, Norman, by Peter saying he needs some convincing that as a res- as a middle-aged, reasonably healthy male in Sydney, if it's safe to go back inside commercial gyms. And Peter would feel better if everyone in the gym, patrons, staff, the lot, had to wear face masks to prevent aerosolization. Is that reasonable or is that overkill? It's not an easy question to answer because there is a level of anxiety and gyms are high-risk places, are, as indeed are restaurants that are poorly ventilated and bars and so on. Those are places that, particularly when people are hyperventilating, you know, shouting and all that sort of thing, they, 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 not that they, that happens in gyms, those are all potential aerosolization events. What governs the decision now is really how much virus is circulating, and there's almost no virus circulating now anywhere in Australia, probably even South Australia is getting, you know, is getting things back to zero spread. So I think it is pretty safe to go in without a mask. Victoria is slowly lifting its restrictions and and I just think that they've been so battle bruised. It's absolutely understandable why Victoria might be slower to go back to no masks indoors. But elsewhere, I think that um, we can live with no masks, particularly in gyms. But you know, I'm with Peter on my on anxiety here, and if it ever comes back with an outbreak in where I near where I live, I'll stop the gym. That's one of the first things I'll stop doing. And we promised yesterday that we'd talk about the West Australian border opening again because that's one of the other restrictions that's starting to lift coming up towards Christmas. Its border is going to reopen to New South Wales and Victoria on the 8th of December, which is the first time in quite a long time from memory. Yep, it is the first time in a long time. Families being reunited, a lot of people looking forward to it, not least me, because I like West Australia and I love going out to Rottnest. Do you like Western Australia, Norman? Because sometimes your comments would suggest otherwise. Yeah, I realise that uh, some incontinent remarks of mine earlier in the week on Twitter have been, um, <laughs> well, I wouldn't say taken out of context. Fair, you know, fair's fair. And um, the, the Premier didn't like them much either. That's because I'm very fond of West Australia and West, Aust- West Australians and you know, they can, they can take it. Okay. Well, the Premier has said that he won't hesitate to reimpose the hard border at any time, which is good from a virus control point of view, but perhaps a little, it, it could make you nervous if you were a West Australian who was hoping to travel and kind of thinking that you'd be able to get back home again if you needed to. Yeah, it is precarious. And, and it's highlighted by the fact that in Victoria yesterday, the uh, Premier announced uh, that there could be an active case in the Colac area. They certainly had high detection levels of viral fragments in Colac's wastewater. And they're talking about you know, increasing testing in the town. Later in the day, the question, you know, the, it was resolved that perhaps what's happened here is that somebody they knew about has returned to the area and is a prolonged viral shedder rather than being infectious. But it just shows that there could still be virus around and we've got to be careful. And, yep, the, the border with Australia could be slammed shut. And if you're a West Australian coming over to the east, then you don't want to be stuck here or having to go into two weeks quarantine when you go back. It's been such a year of uncertainty, hasn't it? And it doesn't look like the uncertainty is going to be over at any time soon. But I suppose one of the things that we're looking for as a way out is a vaccine. And there was a bit more information about the Moderna vaccine in the last couple of days that maybe um, we should unpack a little bit because it's making some pretty big claims. There's that, an mRNA vaccine showed that it was 100% effective at preventing severe disease. Just to remind Coronacast listeners, these vaccines are designed to, not to necessarily prevent transmission of infection, but to prevent COVID-19 disease, which is a good thing that that's a good thing to prevent because that's why we're worried about this virus. 
And then the question is, does it prevent mild disease or any disease or severe disease? And severe disease, you really do want to uh, prevent. And they're claiming that it prevents severe disease. And, and I think some misleading headlines about being 100% effective. And what it means is really that in the trial, I think it was 30 people in the trial got severe disease and all of them were in the placebo group, the placebo vaccine, not in the active group. So it's good news that it's effective against severe disease. It doesn't mean that it's 100% effective. It's just that it's highly effective for severe disease. The overall effectiveness is going to have to wait really until gets out into the field and the regulators look at all the raw data. We don't really talk very much on this podcast about phase four clinical trials, that phase after a vaccine's in the marketplace and you're testing its results. But how long does it usually take for those sorts of big scale results to be known? We do very few phase four trials uh, around the world. The other name for them is post-marketing surveillance. So that, let's say, a new cancer drug comes on the market or a new heart drug is on the market. We don't monitor them very well. We tend to rely on the phase three studies, just like with the vaccines. And then you wait for doctors to report side effects or patients to report side effects. And we know that people are very bad, including doctors are really terrible at reporting side effects to the regulators. So it's not a good way of doing of doing this. So how some people have got around this, particularly in Sweden and other countries, is they create registries. So that if you're if you're actually going onto a treatment program, you're you're registered on that program and you you find out whether you get a side effect. We've got a very good registry in Australia for hip, knee, and other joint replacements. And we follow people through. And if they need a joint revision, it goes on the registry so you know whether or not certain joints perform well or not. But that's a rarity in, in, in Australia. So we will, we will actually in Australia do a phase four study of vaccines. And we'll do this through the Australian Immunisation Registry. So anybody who's got kids knows that when you have your kids immunised, your GP registers you with an electronic registry to show that they've been immunised. And this helps, of course, for going to school and all the things that you need to prove that children have actually been immunised unless there's a good reason not to. What's going to happen is that it's going to be, it's not going to be compulsory to have the vaccine, the COVID-19 vaccine, but if you have it, it will be compulsory for the person giving it to register you with the Australian Immunisation Registry. And this is a really, really good thing because it means, first of all, that when you will be able to get recalled for your second dose, because they're all second doses. And it means when you get your second dose, you're getting a second dose of the same vaccine, not one of the other three or four vaccines that might be out there. And it also means that if you get a side effect, they can trace it back and monitor how well people do and link it to other records. So that's good. So we're lucky in Australia we've got that, and we should be pretty good at monitoring whether or not we get side effects. So effectively, that is a free a phase four study in Australia. And we will also benefit a bit from delayed, so people saying, oh, why aren't we starting immunization next week, like Americans or British, if indeed it is next week. And that's, uh, why are we much slower? Well, first of all, we don't have the panic on. We're not having thousands of cases every day. So the, the, the imperative to get on with immunization on inadequate data is not there, whereas the cost-benefit analysis or the risk-benefit analysis in Britain or America where you've got thousands of people dying is greater. It's, you know, they, they look safe and they look effective, so give it because the greater good's at stake. We can actually wait. And to be blunt, we can wait until they make mistakes. You know, They might make mistakes about how the manufacturer, they might make mistakes about how they roll it out, to, to whom. And we will learn a lot 
and we will actually have better data on which to base our, our registration. So the fact that our registration might be six to eight weeks later than the other countries is probably actually a good thing. And getting going, you know, six or eight weeks is not going to make a big difference to whether or not we can open up the international borders because that will depend on knowing whether this, this vaccine, these vaccines prevent infection rather than just disease. On that distinction between infection and disease, Norman, it's something you mention a lot and we get so many questions about. We're going to have an episode breaking that down next week. So listeners, if you have questions, send them in. Go to abc.net.au slash coronacast, click ask a question and mention coronacast and we'll pick it up and then we'll see you tomorrow. See you then. See you then.